2: On Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court decided to not take up the Texas lawsuit challenging the election results in four key battleground states, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. While President Trump and his allies have announced their election challenges are not over, the Electoral College presidential electors are officially voting to certify the election Monday, and they'll be finished Monday afternoon. We'll start there with our panel, political editor at National Journal, Josh Kraschauer. USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page and co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics Tom Bevan Susan the president continues to say that he's going to fight this but now with the electors and the official votes happening they're moving forward to eventually getting to the house floor uh, on January 6th it has it's over and the Wall Street Journal is out a bunch of different uh, publications on the right are out saying this, this has to end and there has to be a concession, but it does not seem like the president's there yet.
0: Now, the president is clearly not ready to concede, although there is no credible path for him to challenge the election of Joe Biden. Now, they can muck things up. It's possible they could force two hours of debate on January 6th at the House and at the Senate if, a, if one senator and one member of Congress decides to try to challenge the results. But the outcome is is set. Democratic control of the House, for one thing, guarantees that they'll stick with Joe Biden. That means that path only delays for a few hours the outcome of Joe Biden as the next president.
2: Josh, I guess the biggest question now is not the next challenge or what the next thing is going to be for the Trump campaign and the Trump allies, but really the impact on Georgia, these two Senate runoffs, that the balance of power in the Senate in
1: the yeah, I mean, the real challenge for Republican leaders on Capitol Hill is trying to persuade their voters that there wasn't any, you know, mass fraud that took place in Georgia or, or anywhere else. And Mitch McConnell's been trying to avoid essentially dividing the party, because uh, there is a pretty deep divide in the Republican Party between those who are sort of the hardcore base of, that, that support President Trump no matter what, and, and some more pragmatic Republican leaders who you've seen in the state of Georgia stand up for their electoral process. Um, you know, I think the fact that you had a 9 nothing unanimous ruling in the Supreme Court on the Texas case, including from all of President Trump's Supreme Court nominees that dismissing that, that, that case, you know, I think that'll go to have some effect on sort of calming down the Republican nerves and, and focusing the GOP's attention on winning the Senate and winning those Georgia seats. But they, make no mistake. I mean, there is a, a big divide in the party, and there is a critical mass of Republican voters that aren't willing to accept uh, the election results, no matter what the electors do today.
2: Tom, uh, the president, talked. Uh, Brian Kilmeade said that that no judge has had the courage to take up the merits of their case. That's not true. Um, there have been decisions about standing and whether the the Supreme Court, for example, would take a case, but. For, in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court there in Wisconsin, there was a judge who decided to hear the case as far as what the merits were and said both sides can bring witnesses or they can stipulate facts. And the Trump team stipulated the facts, didn't bring forth any new witnesses about fraud in Wisconsin, and kind of argued on the, a different plane about uh, constitutional rights when it comes to mail-in votes. That's the issue here is that there hasn't been one time, one judge who's seen said something that could overturn any of these votes.
3: That's right. And look, this has been progressing. I mean, they've consistently lost in the court of law, but president Trump continues to wage war in sort of the court of public opinion. And I think that's what this is ultimately about. He knows he's not going to be able to stop the certification uh, of Joe Biden as president, but to the extent that he's looking forward beyond, uh, you know, there's, there's been talk of 2024. He's kind of hedged on that a little bit. So we don't know exactly what the future holds, but, but Trump is certainly, uh, I think at this point he's going to stick to the uh, he's going to stick to his script, which is the selection was stolen from me and stolen from you the 75 million people who voted for me. And, and, you know, we're eventually going to write this wrong and, and that leaves open the option for him to, to wave the bloody shirt and run in
2: 2024. Mm -hmm. Susan, uh, when I saw the Georgia and the electors voting uh, led by Stacey Abrams, it was quite a sight because not only did she orchestrate a lot of the voting on the Democratic side in Georgia, but she also did not concede when she lost her gubernatorial race in Georgia. But she's done an amazing job orchestrating uh, that effort to get out the vote in Georgia ahead of the runoffs as well.
0: Yeah, no state has counted its ballots more often than Georgia has this time around. Uh, And certified uh, by the Republican governor and the Republican secretary of state, much to President Trump's dismay. You know, you ask about the impact uh, this has on the Georgia Senate races, and of course that is the immediate issue. There's a longer issue, I think, about the impact on people's trust and faith in our elections generally. Not so much if the president doesn't Concede, but if the president continues to argue that the system is rife with fraud, that you can't trust it, that there are forces making your vote not count, that could have some real consequences down the road. But the basic democratic compact, which is majority rule, you, you, we take a vote, whoever gets the most votes, or in this case the most votes in the electoral College, wins the election. And for millions of President Trump supporters, I think that's been called into question this fall.
2: Uh, Josh, if you were to handicap that those Senate races, those runoffs, uh, where do you put it? I mean, I know where some of the recent polls are. We're a little burned by some polls after the last election. And Georgia is kind of unique in how it voted in the presidential and how it traditionally votes in the past.
1: Yeah, it's, Brent, it's going to be really close. I, I think that the fundamentals suggest that. Joe Biden won the state by a very narrow margin, but David Perdue... And also all the Republican candidates on that special election ballot outpolled the Democrats. Uh, so Republic, there were a, a number of Biden, Purdue Republican Senate uh, voters in Georgia. Um, the big question is whether Trump's you know, unwillingness to accept the election results could divide the Republican Party, could depress a small number of Republican voters who just won't show up to the polls next month. But you know, from the reporting I've seen down in Georgia and, and, and folks I've talked to on the ground, it does seem like even the people that are in the most denial about the results still plan on showing up to vote in January. And a lot of this, they can kind of compartmentalize their, their views of the election and their views of holding the Senate and, and fighting for Trump down ballot. So, you know, I think this is gonna be very close. It's gonna go down to the wire, um, but, but Republicans certainly are, are feeling a little more optimistic They'll get their voters to the polls, regardless of this this spat that's taking place within the party.
2: Yeah, Tom, you buy that? I mean, even even this this wing of Trump supporters who is threatening if Brian Kemp, the governor, doesn't call a special session of the legislature, that they're not going to come out and vote. Every commercial they see is how important it is to fight socialism, which obviously worked in other states.
3: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I have to think that they're going to turn out and, and show up. Um, but it is going to be close. I mean, look, everybody knows, both sides know where their voters are, right? They just turned them out. And so the question is, can they can they find them? Can they motivate them uh, to turn them out again? And uh, you mentioned the polls and Trafalgar, who's a Republican pollster who, who ha- did a pretty good job in 2020, was actually one of the pollsters that got it mostly right, uh, you know, it was just out with polls yesterday showing – uh, the, the Purdue Ossoff race, a tie and the Leffler race, you know, a three point race with, with Leffler ahead there. So, um, but all the, almost all the polling we've seen suggests that, that in fact, uh, you know, it is going to be close and both sides are going to do their best to, to repeat what just happened in November. And, and so I think it's going to be, um, I think it is going to be, I do also, you know, I buy the conventional wisdom for what it's worth that this is a package deal that you're not going to have a bunch of voters that are going to go out and vote for, you know, uh, Purdue and then Raphael Warnock. I mean, I think it's Republicans are going to vote for Republicans. Democrats are going to vote for Democrats. And so, you know, one side's going to win them both or lose them both.
2: Yeah. Uh, Susan, you're seeing all these figures go down there, including Joe Biden. Um, President Trump was down there uh, and a long list of potentials. In 2024, on the Republican side, however, it seems like the field may be a little frozen if the president uh, maybe launches his campaign.
0: Well, it definitely becomes problematic for Republicans who who want to run uh, next time around, and there's no shortage of them. You can you can probably get up to a dozen contenders between Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley and uh, Ted Cruz, uh, many of the several of the candidates that. uh, that President Trump defeated for the nomination four years ago, but what do they do in a party that is so loyal to Donald Trump, and where he continues to suggest that he is going to run again? Uh, I think it makes it. Uh, I think it makes it tougher for all of them to raise money uh, to to kind of work the field for them. They're certainly not in a position, I think, to criticize the president. One thing that this post-election period has shown us uh, over the past month or so is how loyal Republican voters continue to be to Donald Trump even in the wake of his defeat for a second term.
2: But I guess, Susan, it is interesting. Uh, you know, the president uses the down-ballot success and him losing as evidence that it couldn't happen. But there are many Republicans, it appears, that said no to Donald Trump and yes to state legislatures, Congress, uh, Senate candidates.
0: Absolutely, this was a rebuke of, of President Trump. Given the fact that they did that, uh, other Republicans down the ballot won their elections to us to a surprising degree. And you know, it's not our tradition. Once a president has been defeated for re-election, the, their party generally doesn't want to see them again. That was true for George H. W. Bush when he lost his bid for a second term. It was true for Jimmy Carter when he lost his bid for a second term. This is against the norm. That President Trump could lose his bid for a second term, even at a time his party does pretty well, and yet he still has control of the GOP.
2: We'll hear from our panel after this.
1: The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day, featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.
2: Is there a candidate, this is forecasting ahead, Josh, is there a candidate out there potentially that taps the Trumpism base, you know, with one foot there, but then a foot over to traditional GOP? I mean, is there a Nikki Haley, a Tom Cotton who does both of those things?
1: I mean, that's what Republicans are going to be experimenting with over the next few years, especially, you know, in the run-up to the next midterm election. You know, Marco Rubio is trying to formulate sort of a, a more family-friendly, values-centric Republican Party. But, you know, he's had so many evolutions, and, and he's also had sort of a mixed relationship with Trump over the years that I'm not sure how successful it will be. You you mentioned Josh Hawley, who's, like, I think the more the most pure uh, distillation of Trumpism in the Senate right now, but I, I don't know really if he has the personality or the you know charisma, frankly, to really capture what really connected Trump and, and his supporters together. I, I don't see anyone else really filling that vacuum. So, you know, I think Republicans are going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, like, how to, how to kind of thread the needle, how to get some of these suburban voters that want to vote Republican on policy but are, have been alienated by the president. And, the you know, I think the majority of the party that really likes Trump and is energized by Trump um, and may not show up if you have someone who's a little more traditional. So it's not going to be easy for the party as they, as they, as they become uh, the opposition party over the next few years.
2: Tom, I saw an ad. It was done by a pro-GOP group, and it said, fighting for American ideals, and it was a picture of Mike Pence. Obviously Pence, <laughs> Pence uh, taps the, uh, the Trump crowd, but uh, I don't know if he taps the same excitement.
3: No, no. Mike Pence is sort of the the lost puppy of this election um, in the sense that he's really he he was never, you know, he served a useful purpose for Trump in 2016 in terms of having that bridge to to the establishment. Um, But and while I think Trump supporters are appreciative of the loyalty that he showed as vice president, he did his duty. Um, they are not as as thrilled with him. I think the next iteration, and I think Josh is right. I mean, you look across the landscape, and the only the only people that really could fill the the void of Donald Trump really are his kids. I mean, and if you're looking for the sort of the kinder gentler version of Donald Trump, it's Ivanka. If you're looking for the more Hardcore, you know, smack them in the face version. It's Don Trump Jr., um, but beyond that, uh, and and they certainly aren't part of the the you know Washington establishment in the same way that you know Marco Rubio and, and Josh Hawley and some of these other folks are. So, I do think uh, the 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 president. I mean, one thing is 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 true, and I think for sure is that the the policies that the president. Put in place the economic populism and nationalism on you know free trade on immigration. Uh, his foreign policy uh, vision, uh, the, all of those things, are exactly where the party is. And whoever is going to lead this party and is going to take the mantle has to be in line with those policies and cannot be going back to the these sort of you know free trade um, you know interventions abroad. Uh, you know, uh, open immigration policies of the past. I mean, that's just not where the Republican Party is anymore.
2: Mm -hmm. And Susan, meantime, President-elect Biden uh, putting together his team, his nominees for key cabinet positions, uh, filling in uh, big positions that he doesn't need Senate confirmation for. 80% of those names have one thing in common on their resume. It's the word Obama. And they have been a part of the Obama administration in one shape, way or another. They continue to say this is not a third Obama term. However, that's a lot of folks with a tie to the last administration.
0: You know, in a way, not surprising that a new democratic administration would have people who served in the last democratic administration, but definitely uh, frustrating for some of the newer voices in the party, some of the more progressive voices um, who think it's a different time and it's a different party. It's a party that's moved left. I think that's uh, clearly uh, true. Uh, even though Joe Biden himself is a pretty centrist figure, I think they feel that you know the advantage that this Biden team has is the depth of their experience. They they will know where things are, how things work in the agencies that they're going to be deployed to. The the other side is that they don't they don't they're not like new new visionaries. They don't have new ways. Of, they don't automatically seem to have new ways of of doing things, uh, and that's of that's of concern to some in the party. Uh, that he has stuck kind of so close to home, uh, so so much not a team of rivals it 's like a team of pals, yeah, and
2: you know there was this portrayal at one point in the late in the campaign, Josh, to try to get this this uh, image of Biden being you know fDr his own New deal, and he even had a, that event at Warm Springs in Georgia and portraying like this is going to be transformational, but you look at the names and you look at the positions. And it really doesn't feel transformational, at least not yet.
1: Well, he's not going to be FDR because he only has at most 50 Senate seats, maybe as few as 48 based on those Georgia races. So the, the the prospect of him getting these types of visionary, progressive, transformational leaders was a non-starter from the beginning once the election results came in. and And, and he's had to kind of, you know, Tear back his ambitions I, I think a lot of those articles early on in the campaign were being uh, touted by more progressive staffers who you know certainly had their hopes up and maybe thought the country was a little more to the left than it actually is but the reality is we're a divided country uh, we're generally a center centrist country is that have you know delivered a mandate that was you know to, to reject Trump but also to elect Republicans to the to the possibly to the Senate and, and give them an enhanced minority in the House. Uh, so this is uh, the reality, and you're not going to have an FDR-type presidency. You might have a Truman-like presidency where, uh, you know, you have divided government, and, and Biden can rail against the Republicans, try to score some political points that way. But anything that gets done is going to have to be done through bipartisan compromise.
2: Yeah, and that fits uh, Biden's M.O., I mean, at least in the in the past when he was in the Senate. It almost seems, Tom, that he would... F- Thrive a little bit more in that environment if Georgia goes the Republicans' way, as opposed to feeling the pressure from the left if Georgia goes both to Democrats. Yeah,
3: I, I do think you know Carl Cannon made this argument on our side. We actually had a dueling pieces—one from Mort Kondracki who who argued that Biden needs a Democratic Senate, and and Carl was taking the opposite position, which is that Biden would be in a much more comfortable position for exactly the reasons that you mentioned, and, and also for the reason that Josh mentions, which is, you know, politically, it gives him something to run against and helps, helps insulate him against uh, massive midterm losses because if he does have a democratic Senate, Democratic House, and they do start, you know, going, and some people think, look, you're never gonna get Joe Manchin to go along or, or some of these other, you know, whoever is left in the Senate that's a centrist, on things like packing the court, on things like, you know, doing away with the filibuster or doing the Green New Deal or, or whatever. But nevertheless, uh, I, I think it to the extent that Democrats do have control. They would be much, much more vulnerable uh, in terms of losing the House, perhaps losing the Senate in, in 2022 than if it is divided government and, and is basically more sort of the status quo where, where you have to compromise. I mean, certainly Joe Biden can pursue things through executive order to the extent that he can and then rail against Republicans. And, and that's probably the better overall scenario for him, politically speaking, um, for the next couple of years.
2: Yeah. Let me end on a positive note. This uh, vaccine um, and seeing the images of of healthcare workers taking it, um, you know, early December um, to mid-December when Susan, I mean, frankly, a lot, a lot of people said there was no way. It was not going to happen. It was going to be impossible. It was a pipe dream. It was He'd have to have a miracle before it happened this year. And, uh, you know, they, they did it.
0: You know, it's been such a tough year in so many ways, and yet you watch these pictures today. It doesn't just make you smile. When was the last time you smiled because you saw someone getting a shot? Yeah. Uh, but that's how you feel feel today. Uh, it's, I mean, a tribute to Operation Warp Speed. I think President Trump deserves some credit for this. The scientific community, for sure. The pharmaceuticals. Uh, you know, the, the fact that they have delivered these multiple vaccines with these very high rate of success, 95% protection. It's, it's, it's amazing. And we can only hope that it rolls out smoothly so that all of us can get our shots sometime early in the new year.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the credit, you got to give it to Operation Warp Speed. The Joe Biden plan is 100 million doses in 100 days. That's already the plan. If you listen to the vaccine summit at the White House, Josh.
1: Yeah, just a remarkable accomplishment from the private sector and the partnership with with, uh, the government. But I mean, it does go to, you sort of see these bureaucratic challenges that we've seen over the last years that are endemic to government with the innovation and just the the creativity that these pharmaceutical companies were able to produce remarkably like nine, 10 months. I mean, it it really is a miracle in many ways. So now it goes to show that, you know, when it comes to policy on the pandemic, even though that Trump and Biden have had totally different approaches and Trump is being accused of being reckless at times, you know, as far as their public policy and their proposals go, it's not, it's not a whole lot of difference between the two uh, proposals, but, you know, I think they're all going to benefit from just the sheer, sheer uh, success that these uh, pharmaceutical companies.
2: And last thing, Tom, I mean, ABC had a poll that said that uh, it may be 80% of people say they will take the vaccine at one time or another, maybe not the first iteration, but they'll say they'll take it. Do you think those numbers continue to go up as time goes on, or do you think there'll be an entrenched kind of anti-taking uh, this vaccine?
3: No, I think those numbers will continue to go up and and we're going to have an education campaign. We're going to have, you know, former presidents taking it publicly and and all of these things. So I suspect, I mean, obviously you'll still have whatever percentage of folks who are the anti-vaxxers who are going to hold out and never take it and never take anything else. Um, But but those numbers are encouraging. I think they'll continue to go up. And I think, uh, you know, God willing, this thing will be behind us by, you know, middle of next year and we get back to life, you know, life is normal.
2: Yeah, one day closer to that. All right, thank you very much. Here's a bit of election trivia. On December 5th, 1782, the eighth president of the United States, Martin Van Buren, was born in Kinderhook, New York. Unlike his predecessors, Van Buren would be the first president to be born a citizen of the United States and not a British subject. There you go. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Josh, Susan, and Tom. I'm Brett Bear. We'll see you next time.
3: Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform. And watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch.